Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. I'm so glad that we've got something in place so that we can actually get a wireless mic again in the hopefully a few weeks' time because this is not the best for me. I always trip up and... Yeah, it's good fun. But anyway, less about that and more about God this morning. Anyone here excited about God? Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's not bad. I'm going to vibe this morning. I don't know if it's because the clouds kind of made everyone feel a little bit like, So you walk in here and there's everyone say, Ah, how are you going? And I was hoping that we would get a bit of a response. So don't fall asleep on me. Because God wants to speak to people. So let's just pray before we get into um, the, the message for this morning. God, I pray that you speak to us, you speak to me. God, we are here, our hearts are open, and we just pray that you just put your truth into us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Look, I'm really excited for the overflow night. If you don't know much about me, I love music. I've been um, learning music since age of four, and it's always good fun and I love uh, the whole aspect of being able just to sit in God's presence with music or not really sit but worship God uh, together as a church and, and and just to make sure that you know that, that we're still going to have our Sunday morning obviously with Amit and then in the evening at five o'clock we'll be heading down literally just down the road what about five minutes not even and um, yeah there's lots of info on the city we would love you to access that and we would love to share that night with you but tonight not tonight this morning it's not night yet but this morning I want to set us up this is a setup you came this morning you didn't know about it but this is a setup we are setting ourselves up for an amazing night at overflow night and really what I want to just unpack this morning is the whole idea of what worship really is and for you if you've not been used to church life or maybe you've been involved in church for a long time but you come in here and you see what's happening here and you're like why do we do that what is that all about Uh, I want to explain that a little bit this morning because I think it's really important Growing up, I've always been in church, and one of the lines that was used a lot by song leaders when I was uh, growing up was that, let's bring a sacrifice of praise. Anyone ever heard that phrase before? Yeah, very familiar. Or sacrifice of worship. I didn't know what that meant. So for me growing up, in my young mind, I thought that sacrifice equals pain, yeah? So that means I thought that during this time of sacrifice or praise, I thought that I was meant to sing as loud and as high as possible so that I would hurt my voice. I thought that, that was, if I didn't walk out with a sore throat, then I'm not bringing God a sacrifice or praise. Anyone been there before? Sort of? Maybe? Know me alone? That's okay. That's all right. Just remember that, yeah, I'm paid by this church to do this. (laughs) But no, seriously though, like growing up, I was like, what does this whole idea of sacrifice and praise mean? And it started to to, to kind of stir something up in me to to find out more about this whole idea of worshipping God. And I realized that in my mind, I had this idea that somehow worship changes God's position. Whether it changes his position to be more favorable towards me, 
Or maybe it somehow grants him more power. I mean, the Bible talks about bless the Lord, oh my soul. And my idea of bless is kind of like, shouldn't God be the one blessing us? Why do we bless God? And we, I had this real um, decision that I had to make, or, or, or understanding that I was grappling with, with this whole understanding of worship to God. And one of the key verses in the Bible when it comes to worship is found in Romans 12 verse 1, which says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I realize that worship isn't about songs. Quite often in church we talk about a time of worship and, 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 and when that comes around that time of worship, it is about singing songs to God. And, and we have this time of worship, but really the biblical idea of worship is not so much about a specific time or about songs that you sing, but it's really about a lifestyle. It's about the whole of your life. This verse shows shows us that worship, and the Bible tells us to worship in spirit and truth, and it says spiritual worship is actually presenting to God your whole life and saying, God, you take over. So with that, I started to think about, why does God need us to do this? Why does God need me to present everything that I am to God, to Him? Does it empower Him? Does it give Him something more? Like I said, does it kind of position God differently? And as I was grappling with that, I decided that if God changes because of my worship, then He cannot be God. Make sense? If somehow what I do changes God, then He can't be God. He's actually controllable by me. And I'm not going to worship something I can change. For example, when I make a Lego man, I don't go, now I'm going to worship you. I can turn his head around. I can do whatever I want to it. I am in control of this little toy. And I do not worship my toy. But sometimes with God, we kind of think that we are in control or we like to have this illusion or, or this unconscious or subconscious thought that maybe if I worship that little bit harder, maybe if I lose my voice, maybe if I sing the higher notes and I manage to hit them, or you know, maybe if I spend a longer time in worship, maybe God changes. And the truth is that God can't change because that stops him from being God. Which kind of put me down this path of understanding that worship isn't so much about changing God, but maybe it's about changing myself. And we need to get this in our, mind, in our mindsets that maybe worship is something that is for our benefit. And, and so this morning, I want to unpack that a little bit because I believe that we can bring a couple of forms of worship. And there's one form which is acceptable and it's probably still part of our everyday life. But there's a different kind of worship that I would like us to bring. And on that overflow night or every single Sunday morning uh, that we come in here and we're singing songs, I'm hoping that we don't just... Um, Worship in a certain form, and I'm going to unpack this. I know I'm kind of like jumping around it, but I don't want to steal my own thunder. And so we'll get there. But um, first and foremost, I want to look into Luke 10, 38 to 42. 
And this story goes like that. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And when I was listening to this, when I was reading this story, suddenly God started to put in my heart, are we truly looking for that one thing? Another translation puts it, only one thing truly matters. Only one thing matters. And I'm wondering whether for us in our lives, we get distracted by a whole bunch of stuff. We got all these things, and, and for many of you, being a part of this church, being a part of this young church, by the way, today is kind of like our six-month anniversary, just in case you're looking for a bit of a celebration point. So we are six months old, and as you know, we get here early every Sunday morning. We put in a whole ton of work into making all of this happen, and with that, we can get caught up with this idea that we are serving God, and that is so important, but do we truly know what is really important? And God put this in my heart. Some of us as Christians, we desire to be a good host to Jesus, but some of us are not understanding that we are supposed to be going from being a good host to being a good disciple. Some of us are happy having Jesus in our lives, but some of us are not willing to sit at his feet. Some of us are so caught up with what we are doing than what God is truly doing in our lives, in our home. And we can be like Martha. Martha was the one that invited Jesus into her house. Martha was the one that was really the host of this little encounter. But she got so caught up with hosting Jesus that when someone was actually enjoying Jesus, she got knocky about it and she got a little bit upset about it and she was like, Jesus, you go tell my sister. And Jesus just says, one thing matters. Do you have the one thing that truly matters? When we get to a time of worship, and this is something that I struggle with, being a, a muso and, and, and being somewhat accomplished in, in my journey, I can pick faults. I can think of things that could be done better. Any muso in a house knows that. You know, you go to a church, and this is a, a curse for me, because I love music, and uh, I, uh, I've been part of bands for a long time, and, and, and that's, that's, you know, a gift, a talent that God's placed in my life, and I used it well, but because I got really good at using it, when I go to another church and the keyboardist doesn't know what they're doing, or, or, or the singer kind of looks like they are half bored and forgetting the words, or you know, it, it just annoys me. And sometimes we can get so caught up with how we're going at hosting Jesus that we are not really in his presence at all. And what we want to do in the overflow night is to provide this space 
where people can truly encounter God and can truly meet up with God, we are going to try to find that one thing, to focus in on the one thing that really matters. And so I hope that that's what we are kind of bringing. But what do we do with, when these songs, when we're singing these songs, when, when we have this moment and um, we're trying to focus in on Jesus, what, what is really happening? You know, I, I've just said that worship probably changes us more than it changes God. But what is really happening? Well, this morning I want to unpack like I said, the two things about worship that I, that I want us to see. And um, the first thing that I want to, sorry, I just jumped in my notes. My bad. Backtracking a little bit. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Sorry. Very important verse before we go to the next story. My bad. And it goes like this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And this is really what, to me, worship should look like. Um, the whole idea of this unveiled face. Some of you have, might be like, mm, well, no one wears any veils to church. and um, So what is that all about? Well, understand that in the Old Testament, what would happen is that if anyone wanted to meet with God, God was so holy and amazing that... The person was unable to contain seeing God. It's kind of like if you think about looking at the sun. We are all this distance away from the sun. But if you look directly into the sun, your eyes can't handle it. Your photoreceptors in your eyes actually go crazy because there's so much information going on that it actually burns out. That's what happens physically to your eyes. So if we see... God as being glorious and magnificent and so amazing. It's kind of like that in our spirit. When we encounter God, there is so much that is happening to us as we are receiving the image of God that in the Old Testament people died when they saw God face to face. You can read this about many accounts. Moses himself wanted to see God and, and he said, let me see you. And God said, you can only see my back. If you see my face, you will die. And this is Moses, one of the greatest men in the Bible, could not see God's face. But somehow, through the cross, in the New Testament, now that we have come after Jesus, the veil was torn in two. At Jesus' death at the cross, when he died, the, 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 the curtain that, that had separated the most holy place from everyone else was ripped in two. And it allows us today to actually see God with an unveiled face. We can actually be in a place where we are starting to contain more of God in our lives. So when Mary was choosing to sit at Jesus' feet, she was saying to God, God, I'm actually making more room on the inside. Some of us are making room on the outside for Jesus. But what Jesus is really wanting is to have a space on the inside of us. And as we behold the glory of God, as this verse says in 2 Corinthians, it says that we are being transformed. Another version says that we are becoming more and more like him. How amazing is that? That God would desire and choose to have us in a place where he's sharing his glory. He is sharing all that he has got with us. He doesn't want to withhold it, but we need to be in a place that we are beholding the glory of God and allowing him to transform us to become more like him. That's what Overflow Night is about. 
So how does singing help that? How does doing all of this help that? Well, I've got a story to tell you, and it comes from Matthew 14, 22 to 23. And this uh, account comes straight after Jesus had fed 5,000 men. Famous story again, um, where Jesus takes the two loaves and the five fish. Is it two loaves and five fish, or is it the other way around? The other way around? My bad. It's in the Bible, guys. Um, yeah, he fed lots of people with very little food. That's the basis of the story. <laughs> we all know that. And, and he feeds 5,000 men, and it could actually be something closer to 20,000 because it doesn't include the women and the children. There was actually leftovers because God multiplied food to feed lots of people. Pretty cool. And then straight after that, it goes into this account, and it says, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 to 6 a.m., uh, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sing, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Pretty cool that it says right there, the word worship, the people, the disciples in the boat worship. And this is one of the forms of worship. When we see God do an amazing miracle in our lives, what it should prompt us to do is that we go, you are the Son of God. You are magnificent. You are powerful. And when we sing songs of worship, we are actually engaging in that place where we remember what God has done done and we remember what God is capable of doing. It is an important form of worship that we should carry out. If you see God doing miracles and you are not prompted to worship, it probably means that you've got a hardness in your heart that doesn't allow you to see how glorious God is. You are having a veil over your eyes. But if we truly don't have that veil and we see what God is doing, it prompts us to want to worship. It prompts us to go, God, you are amazing. But I see another form of worship in this story, which I think is even more important. And this second form of worship is the form that I hope that many of us will want to take on in our everyday life. Not just at overflow night, not just on a Sunday morning, but in your everyday. I'm hoping that this form of worship becomes so integral to your practice of your faith. And so, I just want to unpack that second form because it's so important. And um, we see the disciples in this account all in the same boat, literally. I'm glad I got a laugh. You guys, all the rest, you guys are slow. They were in the same boat, literally. And they were sitting there and they were 
it, it talks about the storm. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a very strange geographical spot. It is surrounded by mountains, and what will happen is that when the wind comes, it actually gets kind of caught in this little basin, and, and it starts to whip up. And when that happens, it, it's very unpredictable, and the, the storms can be so great that the fishermen uh, were really scared of it. They, they, they needed to be able to see what was going on and to get into safety. And in this group of 12 disciples, four of them were fishermen. They knew about the sea. This was their hood. They knew about what would happen. And when the Bible says that the waves uh, were, were beating them, I think about it being more literal. Not just like, oh no, I'm feeling a little bit seasick. It was like, oh no, we are going to die. Uh, you know, um, a few years ago as a youth ministry, we went to Rotnes Island. And it was good fun. We took the slow ferry there, and then we, we biked around the whole island. And then on the way back, we decided to take a fast boat. And the, the good thing about the fast boat is that it's actually cheaper. It was ridiculous that the fast boat was cheaper than the slow ferry, which was really boring in my opinion. Um, and all of us had a lot of fun except for one guy. He literally, like this guy, this, this, I don't know, this skipper, do you call him skipper? Yeah, skipper. He, he was taking the boat and he was finding every wave that he could so that we'll be doing like little jumps and it was amazing. It was like sitting on a roller coaster except there's no safety, literally. You were just sitting there like, woo! And all of us were like cheering and having fun. But what made it so much more fun was that one guy was nearly about to die. Like, like he, he was as white as a sheet. He was gone. He was holding on and he was confessing every sin that he had ever done. He was like, Lord, if you save me, if I land on the other side safely, I will give you the rest of my life. <laughs> well, this boat story, sometimes you think of it as like, yeah, you know, it's kind of a bit choppy. They were about to die. They knew that this was a dangerous situation. And then they see this figure walking on the water. And, and, and you know, I, I see in children's books, when they draw a picture of this, the water's always, yeah, somewhat choppy, but then, you know, Jesus kind of is like shining and it's almost like he's not even walking on it. He's floating on top of the water. But if you think about this, the waves are gone everywhere. How is Jesus actually doing this? Is he like doing little jumps with the waves? Or You know, it's, it's a crazy story. And, and, and these, these fishermen and the other disciples, they see Jesus coming and they say, it is a ghost. I think they thought it was the angel of death. I think that they thought that this was their time. It was up. It was gone. And when Jesus says, take heart, it is I. I if I was one of those disciples that knew what was going on uh, on that water, I would be like, easy for you to say, you are floating on top of the water. <laughs> the waves don't seem to have any effect on you. So if you say, take heart... I don't want to because I'm not in your position. You get what I mean? And so 11 disciples decided that they were just going to stay in the boat. And one disciple shows us a different way of doing things. And that disciple was Peter. I love Peter. He's pretty crazy in the, in the Bible. He does really crazy things. And what he does in this moment is that he, he actually asks Jesus, Lord, if it is you. And I want us to pause for a moment and think about this statement. Lord, if it is you. See, in those children's Bibles, in those books, it's clearly obvious 
that it is Jesus. It's almost like he has this aura around him. It is like there's this light emanating from his body. Maybe you can even see his halo. And he's got this white uh, gown thing and a blue sash. It's always the same. It's clearly Jesus, yeah? It's always clearly Jesus. But Peter, one of his closest disciples, actually dares to say, Lord, if it is you. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Peter was not sure if it was truly Jesus or not. Think about that. In the storms of your life, in the things that are going on, I think some of us have this expectation that Jesus is going to appear floating on top of the situation and he's going to come in the way that I truly cannot forget that it is him. It is him. It's always him. It, it definitely is him. He's glowing, for goodness sake. It must be Jesus, yeah? But this was one of his closest disciples and he wasn't sure. The storm was whipping up this water. It was between 3 to 6 a.m. There was no light. Jesus obviously wasn't glowing. Jesus was making it hard to recognize himself. Or maybe it's just simply that situations cloud our view. It happens. It's normal. And if Peter could ask this question... Maybe it's okay if we don't always know what God wants from us straight away immediately. Maybe it's okay if, if Jesus speaks to us and we are still a little bit like, Lord, is that you? You get what I mean? Because sometimes I feel like I'm in a place where if I don't get this right, Jesus is going to be so annoyed with me. And sometimes I feel myself stagnating, just stopping because I'm like, oh my gosh, is this God or is this not? Am I supposed to be doing this or am I supposed to be doing that? And then the verse that comes to my mind is where Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. So in that moment, I'm like, I don't know you. if that's you. Maybe I'm not a good sheep. Maybe I, I'm not maybe I'm a goat or, or maybe I'm not in the right place maybe I don't know you enough God and we start down this train of thought where we start to doubt that we know what is going on but Peter one of Jesus's closest disciples dared to ask Lord if it is you and I put forward to you this morning that in your life when the storms are raging, when things are going on and there seems to be a cloudiness in your view of where God is, can I just ask you not to stagnate and stop but to ask the question, Lord, if it is you. But don't just ask the question, confirm yourself, God, because Peter does something even more radical than saying, Lord, if it is you. He says, Lord, if it is you, knowing that he wasn't even 100% sure, he says, command me. Command me to come to you on the water. How many of us there to have that kind of radical faith? How many of us there to have that kind of uh, a faith when we, 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 we think that we hear something from God and, and we don't get so caught up about trying to ensure that it is God, but we are in a place where our hearts are saying, God, if it is you, just command me. You can just tell me whatever you want me to do and I will do it. Worship comes with this, uh, with this sense that we are meant to be surrendering to God. When we create this space where we can meet with God face to face, the storm is going on and all of this is happening and our view is somewhat clouded of God, we are still saying, God, if you command, I will do. Yeah. See, I think many of us would wait for Jesus to come 
into our situation. We are waiting for Jesus to come to our level instead of seeing that Jesus is wanting to take us to his level. Let me say that again. Some of us are waiting for Jesus to come to our level when Jesus is waiting for us to come to his level. Peter understood this and he brought forth a different kind of worship to the other 11 disciples. The 11 disciples knew how to worship God when something good was happening. But that is called passive worship. That is me just waiting on God to do something. But Peter showed transformational worship. He was willing to change his position in order to get closer to Jesus. You know, he wasn't even worried about the water as much as he was worried about being close to Jesus. He didn't say, Jesus, if it is you, then make me walk on water so that I can come to you. No, no, no. He said, command me to come to you on the water. The water was an afterthought to Peter. The water was just something that he would have to go through in order to get anywhere close to Jesus. But for him, in his heart, he was like, Jesus, I want to come to you. And I'm wondering whether for many of us, we are in our situation and the storm is raging and we're worried for our lives. We're worried for the lives of our friends. We're worried for so many things. And we're like, Jesus, come into my boat. I've seen you work miracles before. You can calm the storm. You can speak to the waves and they can stop. We've seen that happen. Why don't you come into the boat now? And that's okay. If that's where you're at with your faith, Jesus didn't tell the disciples off. He didn't say, all you people, you are a disappointment to me. He didn't say that. He just let it be because many of us are at different points in our journey. And sometimes we require God to intervene before we get to see him truly. And that's okay. But I'm wondering whether for some of us, we've been going through life and we've been getting really comfortable in our boat. And, 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 and maybe there's this opportunity for, for, for us to actually get closer to God. But it requires us stepping outside of our boat. Stepping outside of what we've gotten a bit used to. We started to worship God when we see God move. And we haven't started to worship God before he moves. We haven't started to take those steps to get closer to where Jesus is before he has proven himself. God, his desire is that we become more like him. And for Peter, when he stepped out of that boat, when he said, command me, and Jesus said, come, and he left that boat, he was the most like Jesus compared to any other disciple. Jesus walked on water. Peter walked on water. The other disciples, they were still cowards in the boat. And to be honest, in my life, I'm more like the coward in the boat. Oh my God, you need to come through for me. You need to be doing this for me. Come on, God, you need me to be, you know... I, I need you to, 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 to intervene, to, to change this situation, to come into my boat. And I find, like, I, I, I don't like telling God, command me, even though I don't really know 100% of it is you. But I know that I can trust you. So I'm wondering for some of us whether we need to actually get into a place where we throw aside the distractions and we behold the glory of God. And in that moment, ask the question, Lord, if it's you, command me. My senior pastor, Pastor Joel, 
You used to say this little line for us, being part of the band and being part of many worship nights, you know, we love our worship and, and for Muso it's somewhat of an accomplishment to be playing your instrument for more than an hour. I don't know what it is, but that's just how we think. But one day he just said to us, he said, worship can't be an end to itself, worship being just a singing of songs. If all you're doing is singing a song, you know, God's already got choirs of angels that are singing to him all the time. Do you think your voice is any better than an angel? Seriously, some of us need to check ourselves in our hearts, myself included. But seriously, what worship does is that it gives us a new perspective. When we sing songs to God, it, it helps us to cut through all the waves of what is going on. It might not even be a storm. It might just be the fact that you're distracted. It might just be the fact that you have got so much going on in your life that you haven't had the opportunity or you haven't carved out the time to just say, God, I want to see you. You know, making this message was, was a little bit different from any other message because I feel like God's taking me on this journey of faith in my preaching as well. And, and sometimes I want to have my ducks in order. But up to this morning, God was changing things up. And I was like, God, stop it. Why are you messing up with my plans? I've got a message. It's, it's okay. It's not the best, but at least I've got something. Why are you messing it up? I might stuff it up. But God's like, no, you, you, you're talking about this faith of stepping outside of a boat, so you better step out of the boat. And for Beck and myself, we've been on this journey uh, with our house. We, we put it on sale. It hasn't sold for a couple of months. We thought it was sold within two weeks. That was our faith, and our faith is being rocked right now. But, but in the midst of all of that, we're, we're learning how to say to God, Lord, if it is you, command me. But for some of us, we need to take those steps. We need to have that opportunity. Is there anything more special about an overflow night compared to what happens on a Sunday morning? Is there anything more special about an overflow night compared to what you can have at home? Absolutely not. But what we're saying is that we're carving time out of our daily calendar to set apart extra time so that we can have this space where we can silence the storms or, or look past them. We can't silence them sometimes, but we can look past them. And we can find God and we can say, God, I want to behold you. I want to see you again and I want to say to you, command me. You see, I really believe that for some of us coming to uh, that, that, that Sunday night, we are going to have a fresh encounter with God and, and he's going to be putting some things in your life that will change the trajectory of where you were heading. I'm believing for that. But I'm also believing that in the next few moments when we get the band back up again, that you can have the very same moment. But in the midst of that, where's your heart at? Are you in a place where you are saying to God, command me? Are you in a place where you are ready to say to God, I don't always know if it's truly you, but if it is you, you know that you have command of my life. And the truth is, God always has the best for us. And the truth is that when we become more like Jesus, there is so much breakthrough.
that is available for you. Becoming like Jesus means that you get to identify with his victory. You get to identify with his victory over sin, over shame, over death. You get to identify with the fact that he is all-powerful. You get to identify with the fact that no illness, no sickness, no, 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 no troubles, no anxiety can get a hold off you. And that is what is available. And that is what God is saying. This is for you. When he says you can become more like me, he's not just saying that, that you glow in the dark. He's saying that you get a freedom. You get an abundance. I love that the Bible says that when it comes to God, he is exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could hope or imagine. But what he does say as well is that he says you can be more like me. And I'm wondering whether some of us are experiencing second rate because we're just waiting for Jesus to come into our boat when he's saying you step out of the boat and come to where I'm at because that is available for you and that is there for you. But there's another thing that God wants me to let you know is that just because you identify with freedom doesn't mean that tomorrow is going to be easier. It doesn't mean that tomorrow is just going to deal with itself. I need to be real with you. Being identifying with Jesus means that you identify with being persecuted. You're going to identify with sometimes dying to yourself. Where sometimes you have to identify with going to the cross that Jesus died on. But let me tell you that there's no life that is as satisfying as one that has walked with Jesus. When I have any anxiety, whenever any worry in my life, when anything tries to steal my peace, and it sometimes works, but I get to go to Jesus, and I get to go, Jesus, you're with this, you're in this with me. And if it is you, you can just command me. I don't have to worry. If tomorrow I die, that's it, that's fine. I get to go to a better place. But some of us are so caught up staying with the boat because you're scared about what you're going to lose. Well, in the boat, you've already lost. In the boat, you've lost that opportunity to see that God wants you to come into a higher place, into a place where He exists, into a place where He is above the storms, where He is in a place where He's unaffected by the storms, in a place where physics doesn't have any hold on Him. And so for us this morning, the challenge that I want to put out to you is what kind of worship are you willing to bring? Am I just wanting to bring passive worship, which if that's where you're at, that's cool. But I want to put forward this thought that God's got something higher for you. And that comes when you come to where he's at, to hold him and say, I want to become more like you. I want to take that steps to be closer to you. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.